I think that there are something like 350 or more different acronyms now representing different regulations and conventions and standards and industry bodies relating to ESG and sustainability. I definitely don't know all of them, but maybe I'll just cover some of the really key ones that I think people should know. Probably top of my list right now would be TCFD. So this is the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And essentially, this is a framework that helps public companies and investment managers and all sorts of other organizations disclose climate-related risks and opportunities. Hello and welcome to Signals by AlphaSense, where we hear thoughtful insights from business leaders, investors, and experts. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Signals by AlphaSense, and I'm your host, Nick Mazing. Today, we're going to demystify ESG with Danny Wolf, director at Danesmeet ESG, a leading UK-based ESG consultancy helping fund manager, institutional allocators, and corporates navigate the ever-changing, or shall we say, ever-increasing ESG requirements. Danny, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit more about you and about Danesmeet Thank you. Yeah, of course. So uh, we established Dainsmead around three, three and a half years ago. As you said, we're a dedicated ESG consultancy. And we've worked with over 40 different hedge fund, private equity, um, allocators and corporates globally since we started. We're super well spread across the world. So around 50% of our clients are in the US, about 40% in the UK, and another 10% is in uh, Hong Kong, Australia, different places. And we work with our clients on various different sort of ESG implementation and alignment projects. A lot of it is in relation to regulatory, sort of sustainable investment type labels or alignment to other industry bodies like the Principles for Responsible Investment, the PRI. But to be clear, the, the majority of our clients are doing ESG things because their investors want to really, or want, want them to. They're not necessarily... Uh, managing impact funds. They, these are normal hedge funds, private equity managers, long only strategies, but they are considering ESG as risk factors. So just to be clear, we're not, you know, not sort of super tree hugging investor types. Prior to Dainsley, I spent seven years at Goldman Sachs and five years working at a multi-strategy hedge fund where I looked after their ESG program as well. So ESG and alternatives have been sort of part of my life for the last maybe eight, nine years now. So the first question that I have, and it's very broad, is the current state of corporate reporting requirements in the EU and the UK. So in the US, we're perennially behind in terms of regulations on, on that end. Even the SEC climate disclosure requirements uh, keep getting pushed back and challenged. But what is interesting in, in the regulatory world, as an example, in the US, if there is a large geography that requires something, it becomes a de facto standard. So let's say in the U.S., if California has certain requirements for a certain product, it becomes de facto the national standard. So can you kind of walk us through what's what's going on in the U.S., in the U.K. and the EU? Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. There is a lot, like you said, so the, the U.K. and the EU in particular have led a lot of this with other jurisdictions very much sort of following suit. And we are starting to see a little bit more convergence now across different jurisdictions around the sorts of things that are required of corporates. In the EU alone, there's at least 10 pieces of regulation at the moment that relate in some way to sort of sustainability, climate specifically, or environmental issues, or governance, things like that. I definitely won't go through all of them, but there are maybe a few that are really, really important at the moment. 
On the fund side, there is the sustainable finance disclosure regulation and EU taxonomy. And on the corporate side, there is right now something called the non-financial reporting directive, NFRD. And very soon we're getting a really important piece of regulation called the corporate sustainability reporting directive, CSRD. And that's probably the one that's worth just going into a bit more detail on at the moment because this relates to corporates. So CSRD, it was announced a couple of years ago. This is in line with a commitment made under something called the European Green Deal. And the idea is that CSRD will replace the NFRD, the Non-Financial Reporting Directive, which is already in place. And there's a whole range of different reported information that will sort of be under the requirements of this piece of regulation. It's things like you know, to what extent a business is aligned with carbon neutrality, you know, science-based targets and progress, policies, significant sort of negative impacts to things like you know, environmental issues and, and, and like exposure to coal and oil and gas-based activities. And then a lot of other reporting around risks and how they're managed and how you've got information, that sort of stuff. And an important sort of additional element of CSRD is the requirement for what you report to be audited or you're assured. So this adds some much needed accountability in terms of sort of transparency reporting. But what this aims to do really, and this is a really good thing, is that it simplifies and sort of brings sustainability reporting on a par with financial reporting. It sort of makes the, the idea is that these should be seen as equally important. And we all get financial reporting that's been around for a very long time, but sustainability reporting is still quite patchy. So CSRD captures around 50,000 companies operating in the EU. This is much, much bigger in scope than the NFRD that was around 11 or 12,000 companies. And you're brought to the scope if you meet sort of two, or th- two or three different criteria, and they're all related to size. But importantly, non-EU companies that have a turnover in the EU above 150 million euros are also brought into scope. So this is not just European-based companies. It's, there is a sort of extraterritorial element as well. And one of the sort of most important things about CSRD is that it requires something called double materiality. And what that means is that it's not just businesses disclosing the risks that they're facing from things like climate change, but they're also being asked to disclose the impacts that they may have on those sorts of issues like climate and society. So essentially it's not just the risk the world has on you as a business, but also the the impact that you have as a business on the world. And that's this really key thing called double materiality, which hasn't necessarily been around in prior conversions. So all this data is gathered. It's um, supposed to be standardised in a very digital format. And as I said, there will be a sort of third-party assurance element as well so that people reading it can have assurance that it's fair and valid and correct and so on. There's a phase timeline for this, as there often is. So as of 2024, those entities already subject to NFRD will be brought in state. And what they have to do is report 2024 data in 2025. So that means from six months from now, they're going to have to start collecting this data, make it ready for reporting 2025. And then each year after that, a new sort of wave of entities becomes in state, depending on size and, and, and so on. There is a massive question at the moment whether companies that are in scope are going to be ready for this. And it's widely reported that I think around 50% of companies are expected to not be ready. So there's clearly a lot to do. But you know, this is good. We, we need this. We can't expect you know, the investment management industry to make informed decisions about you know, sustainability risks in their investments if they can't make those assessments. And in our work, one of the biggest challenges that we find our clients you know, experience is 
good quality data, good quality reporting, reliable reporting, consistent reporting in order to be able to actually make these assessments of if there's a risk, should I be taken into account? So this is a really, really good step in the right direction, but clearly there's a lot of work to do. And then to your point around, does this have a sort of knock-on for other jurisdictions who aren't directly in scope? I absolutely believe that is the case. That's exactly what we see happening quite a lot. The UK already has some climate disclosures in place, which are in line with something called TCFD, which is the Transport for Climate Financial Disclosures, which impact both corporates and managers already. And the US has a you know, proposal for corporate climate disclosures, which will be from next year, which covers things like GHG emissions, a whole range of different climate-related you know, financial metrics and qualitative disclosures, state one and two reporting and so on. So we are seeing other jurisdictions proposing similar things. But to your point around the general you know, conformity, what we t- typically see is once a piece of regulation like this is, a, is out there and is, is being you know, fulfilled by those who are in scope, there is a sort of general expectation that that's what you get now and that's what companies will provide. So even those who aren't directly in scope for this, you're going to start seeing this, a similar sort of request for similar sorts of information. And I think it just sort of indirectly impacts you know, there's a huge like, collateral damage from a piece of regulation like this, bringing loads of others in scope even if they aren't sort of formally required to. So yes, I, I think your point is absolutely right. That's probably enough about CSRT. So moving on from corporates, you also work very extensively with investment managers and with the largest institutional allocators on ESG issues around the requirements for that type of portfolio level reporting on ESG impacts and similar. So what can you tell us on that side about the EU and UK regulations? You're absolutely right. So again, the EU has led the charge here and they've had a piece of regulation out for two years now called SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation. And there's a secondary part of that called the EU taxonomy. This is actually a disclosure regime, SFDR. It's not a labelling regime, although the market has very much treated it like a labelling regime. And there are three key articles in this piece of regulation. And depending on sort of what you do as an investment manager, you need to disclose in line with the regulation for that particular article. So they're called Article 6, Article 8, and Article 9. Article 6 funds simply is a sort of comply or explain, uh, just a disclosure about whether or not and in what way you consider sustainability risks in your investments. Article 8 funds are those that promote specific environmental or social characteristics. And they may or may not also have a commitment to a certain element of sustainable investments or alignment with the EU tax So there's a bit of a spectrum around what Article 8 funds do. And then Article 9 funds, which are the sort of more extreme kind of end of spectrum, all investments in an Article 9 fund are defined as sustainable, which means they need to be contributing to some kind of social or environmental objective. And that needs to be defined and measured and demonstrated and, and reported on. And like I said, this is not intended to be labelling, but we do hear people, I think I just said, Article 9 fund, Article 8 fund, and that's how the market has ended up using this. And sort of perhaps in response to that, the UK's regulator, the FCA, has come up with proposals for a very similar yet different sort of regime called the SDR, Sustainability Disclosure Requirements. And this is a labelling regime and it is proposed to be a labelling regime and perhaps it's attempting to sort of fix some of the errors of SFDR. And they propose three labels, which are called Sustainable Focus, sustainable improvers and sustainable impact. And you can choose to opt into those labels if you meet the criteria for them. But if you don't, 
then you're sort of prohibited from using words like ESG or sustainability when you're marketing those products. So it's sort of trying to bring in a, a kind of anti-greenwashing rule as well to you know, build complete clarity, really, for those investors in those products as to exactly how sustainable they are and what they're doing. And then there's a whole bunch of sort of disclosure requirements around them. We're expecting final rules on that in, in the next few months. It's supposed to be the end of June, but it's been pushed back a bit because there's been a big, big response to consultation there. And then in the US, on the asset management side, we've also had proposals from the SEC for ESG fund naming rules and fund labels. And their labels, post labels, are integration funds, ESG focused funds, and impact funds. And like you said, pushbacks, so and we're not exactly sure of the timing of that, but what we're likely to end up with at some point, maybe later this year, maybe early next year, is three different but very sort of similar regulations from the EU, the UK and the US. And no doubt more from others. And the challenge here is that certain investment managers will be in scope for two or three of these different pieces of regulation, but they're not the same. So you could end up you know, disclosing under, let's say, Article 8 of SFDR, but not necessarily meet the criteria for the labels in the UK system, or you know, there isn't necessarily a sort of direct equivalence. So I think we would probably like overall to have a little bit more convergence across you know, global labels. I think it's going to be quite challenging to justify, you know, how can you be an Article 8 fund and not be a, I don't know, whatever, you know, label, you know, a sustainable focus fund under the UK's regime. So I, I think that this will be a very interesting kind of next six to 12 months and to see how you know, we managed to navigate this. But we all got through SFDR, which was very much, a, you know, nobody knew how to still navigate that and we survived it. So people got through this as well. And another question that I have for the more casual listeners or more casual hosts in my case, it has to do with the alphabet soup of ESG reporting standards. Frankly, there, there are so many acronyms that just get thrown around in the media. It can be very confusing. So what are the main acronyms that a casual listener should know? I think that there are something like 350 or more different acronyms now representing different regulations and conventions and standards and industry bodies relating to ESG and sustainability. I definitely don't know all of them. But maybe I'll just cover some of the really key ones that I think people should know. Probably top of my list right now would be TCFD. So this is the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And essentially, this is a framework that helps public companies and investment managers and you know, all sorts of other organizations disclose climate-related risks and opportunities. And what they've done is developed four pillars, which is governance, risk management, strategy, and then metrics and targets. And under those pillars, 11 different recommendations on you know, how organizations should be sort of fulfilling the, the requirements of those pillars or, or the recommendations of those pillars, really. It's become the basis of many, many different global regulators, climate-related disclosures. So if you're looking at any climate-related disclosures in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in certainly in the UK, in Canada, it's very good to understand this framework first, as it's a, it is generally being used as sort of basis for many of these. The next piece I think is really important to know about, which is sort of related in some way to CCFD, is called ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board. This is a really exciting new initiative from the IFRS, and they have a mandate essentially to develop sustainability-related report, reporting standards 
which bring in a lot of these other acronyms from our alphabet soup. So they, they incorporate TCFD. They incorporate something called CDSB, which is the Climate Disclosure Standards Board. They incorporate SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. They sort of bring, and a couple of others as well, but they bring them all together. And the goal here is to sort of have the standards to end all standards that companies would use. But this isn't a piece of regulation. The vision is that regulators will adopt this as the standards and it will become a sort of global standard. So we should keep a really close eye on this. This is super exciting. We will see a lot more on this very soon. As yet, it's slightly unclear in exactly what way it will be sort of used by regulators, but the vision is that it will it will be used and I think we should be supportive of that. And maybe the last sort of big one to be aware of is the PRI, the Principle for Responsible Investment. This is most applicable for investment managers and asset owners. It's a US-affiliated industry body. It's got around maybe nearly 5,500 signatories now, and all those signatories are committing to operate in line with six principles for responsible investment, and there are minimum requirements for being a signatory, and the annual reporting process actually we're deeply involved with right now because we're right in the reporting window right now. But this is a very, very good way of demonstrating publicly what you're doing in the context of responsible investment, how you approach it, and it's a good signal that you have met your minimum standards. So those are probably the three I'll focus on. And the final question that I had is about some of the reporting terminology or KPIs, if you want to call them that. You've noticed quite a bit of erroneous reporting and labeling of ESG characteristics. And when we were talking, I was very surprised, actually, net zero is not carbon neutral. So can you Tell us a little bit more about your favorite or least favorite mislabeling examples. I think this is a really, really good point because I think when people think about ESG or sustainability, one of the biggest things they jump to is mislabeling, like greenwashing, confusing statements. And, and it's amazing how often we end up in conversations where we end up explaining some of these things. And I think that actually many, many people don't have a good understanding of the difference between them. And fair enough, like, why should you? It's a, it's a relatively new concept for lots of people. But there's probably a couple that I would say are kind of, these occur quite often. One is the difference between sort of scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. And there's a good reason why this is important. So the GFG protocol is just the sort of protocol around you know, the calculation and reporting of different types of emissions generated by a company. Scope one emissions are those that this covers the emissions that the company makes directly. So if you're, you're running boilers or your own vehicles, these are the direct emissions that you're producing as a company because of things that you are doing. That's straightforward. You can measure that quite easily. Scope two emissions. So these are the emissions that you sort of make indirectly. So it could be electricity or energy, something that you're buying from a third party for anything that you need to be doing, heating and cooling buildings, that kind of thing. So these are essentially emissions that are being produced on your behalf, directly by you, because you need them, but they're sort of by somebody else. Again, probably quite easy to measure. But scope three is where it gets a bit tricky. And this category is sort of for all the emissions that are associated, not with the company itself, but that the organisation is, is sort of indirectly responsible for. And these could be upstream or downstream. So for example, it could be emissions from the, the products and materials that you're buying from your suppliers, or the emissions from the you know, products that you're selling onto your customers. And this is nearly always the, you know, the biggest portion. It usually accounts for around 70% of a company's you know, emissions footprint. For our investment management clients, the scope three emissions also includes their financed emissions. So 
the share of the emissions that they are essentially responsible for from their investments in companies. And that can be quite tricky to calculate accurately if that underlying company isn't reporting that information themselves. So again, that's the point at the beginning around you know, corporate disclosures is really key in order for the investors to be able to you know, do the, the reporting that they need. We often see companies reporting only scopes one and two emissions. And I understand why. It's obviously much easier to calculate and assess. And it's a very good start and we shouldn't discourage that obviously. But scope three is really where it's at. Scope three is really where the sort of bulk of emissions are. So I think you know, when you're looking at people's disclosures, do look into the scopes that they're reporting and it gives you a good sense of you know, how far they've gone in this process. And connected to that is this, as you pointed out, this carbon neutral versus net zero. And there is a simple yet really important difference between these two terms. Carbon neutral, this is really much easier to achieve. It's a very sort of short-term goal. And the idea here is that you're you're you know, assessing, measuring, and then directly offsetting your emissions. So you don't necessarily have to do anything or change anything in what your business is doing. You can just calculate your emissions and pay to offset them. It can be limited to just step one and two emissions. Obviously, it's good if you could do step three, but like I said, lots of people don't. And the offsets can be sort of indirect reduction or avoidance offsets. They don't have to be direct removal offsets, which means the type of offset that you can buy to achieve your carbon neutral status is quite low cost, you know, maybe 10, 20, $30 achievable per carbon tonne. It's a good thing to be doing, but it is no, nowhere near really the kind of effort you have to go to to make a net zero target or, or commitment. This is a much longer term goal. The first thing you have to do is try and reduce everything that you possibly can. And then you only offset what's left at the end. And only certain types of offset can be used to formally achieve net zero. So you have to truly remove the carbon from the atmosphere rather than simply reduce the amount of carbon that's being emitted. And this obviously has to include scope three as well. So quite important differences. I think when you're, you know, again, if you're looking at company disclosures and you see a company make a claim that they are a net zero, you know, or net zero, have a net zero target maybe, although they are a carbon neutral company, it's important to know what they're actually saying there because they are quite big differences. And um, yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest um, confusions, I think, in the terminology. Danny, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Today we spoke with Danny Wolf from Meet ESG, and I know I learned a lot about ESG, and hopefully you did too. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. My name is Nick Mazing, and you can find us on all the major platforms. Thank you for watching or listening. Thank you for joining us. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. Keep in mind that all views presented here are the views of the guests and hosts and do not represent the views of their employers or of AlphaSense. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investing, tax, legal, or medical advice. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review and subscribe for more.